So it's Advent. Welcome to Advent. Everyone's like, what do we say to that? Thank you. Welcome back. Be welcomed to Advent. Well, we use Advent here, Grace, because there is a, there is a need. Uh, that need for us is to have wonder awakened, have mystery kind of brought back to us. There's something um, that's hard for us as adults to hold on to. There's a childlikeness that this, that this faith requires of us. You know, I, I had a kind of a, an awkward uh, metaphor uh, last Sunday. And I said, this story, and you know, I had this awful analogy of like a, a son being put into like a, uh, what would I call it, a cow cake or something like that? What what I call it? No one pay attention? That's okay. Um, <laughs> no problem at all. It was all lost. Anyways, it was an asinine story. I said, who would believe this? And everyone's like, no one. That, that's stupid. We believe kind of a silly, childish story. And for us, it's important for us to be reminded of what it is that we're hoping in, uh, what we believe. And so Advent is this season of reminding us that we're waiting. Have you ever had to wait for something for a very long time? How do you pass the time? Anyone, just holler it. Facebook? How about before Facebook? What did you do? Before Facebook podcasts? No, sir. <laughs> magazines. Do you know there's a reason for those magazines that are like, you know, in the waiting room? People used to actually touch those. You know what I'm talking about? Someone used to read those because they didn't have these. What is the point of the magazines? Okay, I'm sorry. This is, this is a rant. But what is the point of the magazines anymore? We don't need your magazine. Okay. <laughs> if you had a stage, you would say it too, all right? There are all sorts of things you would say too. There are these, there's, there's something about waiting. The, the best way to get through waiting is to distract ourselves from having to wait. When you are at Cracker Barrel and your food is taking way too long, what do you do? Play the dumbest, most frustrating game on the planet. And it proves to you, you're not as smart as you think you are, right? You can't get as many pegs out as you should. You do something to pass the time. You take your mind off of what you're waiting for. It's human nature. When we're waiting for something, the best way to, to pass the time is to not focus on the thing that we're actually waiting for. And see, as helpful as it is for us to pass time, the danger of that is sometimes the distractions, the things that we they fill our lives with, they make us numb. They make us forget what it was that we were waiting for. Have you ever walked in a room to get something you forgot what you were walking in the room for? Okay, I do that a lot. Okay, and you walk in, you go, wait, there's something here I needed. You just kind of look around like, what is it? What was it? I, I walked from that end of the house to this end of the house. So, what was it? And there's something about the in-between. When there is a time in between what you want and when you get it, sometimes we lose it. And the Christian faith is centered on the in-between. We are waiting for something. Now there's language that we use a lot about salvation. You are saved, right? Saved by grace. Amen, right? There's some truth in it. But there's a lie in it as well. We might be saved by grace, but what it's trying to say is that we are part of the people who are waiting for our salvation. Our salvation hasn't come yet. You haven't been saved from anything yet. But you will be. And so we are part of the people who wait for the saving to come. But what happens when you've been sitting around so long that you forget what you are standing there for? 
So we used to go to church all the time, but what was the point of the church again and the songs and the, like the, the lessons? Why don't I just stay home today? What's the point again? Advent, Sunday services, the Scriptures, worship, the Eucharist. See, everything used to be formed into one coherent thing. Every Sunday was prescripted. It was planned out. It was called liturgy. And we did it for one reason. So we wouldn't forget what it was all about. See, the songs weren't about just enjoying the songs and singing. The Scriptures weren't just about learning more knowledge. Everything was pointed to one thing. Every Sunday you would come in a room and you would be slapped in the face. That's my job, by the way. You're welcome. You would be woken up. This is what you're waiting for. This is what your life is about. We would end every single service with bread and juice for one reason. This is what you're waiting for. This is what life is about from here on out. It's not about anything else. Work's going great. It's not about work. Your health is awful. It's not about your health. We are waiting on this thing. This is what everything is about right here, but somewhere we lost it. So Advent in this time in church history is a very effective tool for us. It reminds us that we're waiting. And so we have these four candles, symbolic of the four Sundays of Advent, these blue candles here. And we light them each Sunday of Advent, and they're symbolic. They're reminding us that we're people who are waiting, waiting for a hope, right? The idea of the light in the darkness. But they're also symbolic of something else. See, in the times before light switches, light bulbs, right? There was a need for candles to see. And so anyone who would be up at night trying to find or to see things would need light to see, would need candlelight. And so the other reason that we light candles is not just to remind us that we're hoping or waiting, it's to remind us of a responsibility we have in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, there is a consistent theme about watchmen. That there are people in Israel whose primary purpose is to be watchful, to be awake. That there are people who are charged with the responsibility that while everyone else is asleep, these people are still awake. Now, as far as like physical security, every nation, every people, every tribe had watchmen that had guards on, on the walls, on the gates, right? The watchmen on the walls. But spiritually, the priests were always the ones who were called the watchmen. The priests are the ones who spiritually have to stay awake when everyone else goes to sleep. When everyone else has to get back to the busyness of work and life and paying bills and raising kids and having friendships and going through the highs and lows, someone has to stay awake when everyone else falls spiritually asleep. And what changes for us is that one of the responsibilities of the church is that the church is now called this, this group, this tribe now of priests, priests and kings, right? The responsibility of staying awake is not just mine anymore. You don't just pay me money to stay awake for you, by the way. It's now our job as the church to be watchmen. And so we light these candles this morning, not just to remind us that we are hoping for something. It is our job as the believers, as those who have faith, meaning those who trust that God is going to advent, God is going to appear. It's our job as the world sleeps, as the world gets consumed with politics and more and money and power, we stay spiritually awake. We're the ones in the entire world who say, no, 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 I know everything looks dark, but if you could just see what I see, if you had the light that we have, you would see the things that we see.
I know things look dark right now, but there's something else coming. Advent is not just about reminding us that we're people who wait and hope. It's reminding us that we are people who are charged with the responsibility of staying awake. Of telling the entire world, I know things look bad, but just hold tight. There's something that's coming. You can't see it from where you are. But if you could see what I see, just hold tight just a little bit longer. And so it's the third Sunday of Advent. We've only got one more left. And so for us this morning, I want to focus a little bit on dirt. We called this series Hope in the Dirt. And we've been kind of building up to it this morning. But there's something about watching and being awake that it kind of, what matters is where you put your eyes. So last night, I did the Christmas pajama train. Just let it sink in. We locked children in a metal container, like an arena, you know, at the gladiators. And we filled them with sugar, with cookies and hot chocolate. And then we paused this train for 10 minutes and go nowhere and do nothing. No entertainment. But they say, keep the kids in the seats. They could get hurt. You try keeping a sugar-filled kid past their bedtime who's told Santa's coming in their seats. It's difficult, right? Now, did you ever wait for Santa? Whoever like, stayed up late and like, waited for Santa? Okay. Come on, you all did it. I mean, one time, like once. Okay. When we are awaiting Santa Claus, where do you fix your eyes when you're waiting for Santa to arrive? The fireplace, right? If you don't have a fireplace, like, who saw the Santa Claus, the movie? <laughs> it comes down the radiator, right? It turns into a fireplace, right? And then, okay. You fix your eyes on the fireplace. And the idea is this, if I could just stay away, we've got the milk and the cookies, we're going to trap him, okay? If he'll, when, he, when he touches this, we've got him, it's like mousetrap, okay? But we've got to stay awake long enough to catch him when he comes. See, what you hope for, I, I can already tell what you're hoping for by where you're putting your focus. Let that sink in. What I'm waiting for, as an adult, What's the closest thing to Santa Claus for an adult? Come on, anybody? That was sweet. <laughs> no. Uh, what's the closest thing for everyone else? Amazon. Does Amazon come down the fireplace? No. Where does Amazon come? To your front door or to the notification on your phone, right? And so when you're waiting for that package, you're watching the what? The just quit. You're, you're watching the app. You're tracking the app, right? You, you put your eyes somewhere. How about this? Who remembers the days before these babies? Okay. When that person who you had really warm feelings for said that they were going to call you, what would you do all afternoon? You would sit next to that stupid corded phone, right, with the big, like, curlies. And then when someone else would get on the phone, what would you do? Or you accidentally... Or you go to a different phone and you hang up. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> what you do, the, the moment that person's in the way, the moment that, that that source, again, your eyes are fixed here, there, time slows down, right? There are moments when we have this like a negative way. I know there's times in a hospital room when someone's sick and I'm there as a pastor and all the eyes are on the door. 
They're waiting for the doctor to come in with some good news. Or if we're all watching the monitor, hoping that the heart rate goes back up. And everyone is just still in the room, waiting, and their eyes are fixed in one place. Or maybe when you guys, maybe you had the joy to be able to try to get pregnant, and you put that stick in the pee. You know what I'm talking about? It's the longest five minutes of your life. I can't tell if that's a line, two lines. It's the light. You know? Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. There are moments of anticipation. If you're not looking, if you're not waiting, you're not really hoping, right? And so the question for us is, as watchmen, as people who are waiting for hope, where are we supposed to put our eyes? I, I was thinking about the Superman uh, movie. And so like with the newest Superman movies, when, when, okay, when everything's on fire and there's, you know, there's people dying, and everyone's going, where's Superman? What they would hear is, of course, like, you know, this, this sounds like a, you know what I'm talking about? He's breaking Mach 1, right? And so he's actually causing more damage as he flies in. That's what's happening. He's breaking more glass. Okay. And then he would appear and everyone goes, ha, ah, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. See, look at that. Beautiful. All sorts of myths in our culture, right? Santa Claus, Superman, they're all white, right? I'm not going to name names. I went to a pastor's house in our church, and they had a nativity scene out, a blonde Jesus. How many sermons do I got to preach on this, guys? That baby would not get checked going to the airport, but the real Jesus would get the pat down. That's all I'm saying. Where do our eyes go? Where do we wait for the hope? I mean, what are we to look to? Are we looking to the sky? Most of the Gospels that we've heard or preached have all been about looking to the sky. And even some of the analogies of Paul are about looking to the clouds. And he's after something different. But what has been communicated to us is that the hope is up here. An angel, some kind of powerful force. Maybe God's going to come the way He did in the past. Maybe it's going to be a pillar of fire and smoke. Maybe he's going to come with a flood. Maybe he's going to come with manna from the heavens. We've all been trained to look up. God isn't here. God's up there. Maybe God's going to bring the salvation down. One of the things about this story of the birth of Christ, it's retraining our eyes. It's retelling the story. It's saying, kids, don't wait for Santa Claus at the fireplace. Maybe you should stay up and wait for your parents in the hallway. Maybe your salvation's coming a different place, a different way. Take your eyes somewhere else. And so in this passage in uh, Isaiah, we don't have time to go into all the context of it, but one of the interesting things that God says uh, to His people, He says, hey, demand a sign of me. Ask, ask of me to give you a sign. From the depths of Sheol, the grave, to the heights of the heavens, the firmament, the clouds. Ask me to give you a sign. Often in the Scriptures, when God tells you what to ask Him, there's a point to it. You need to know where to look. And what's so crazy about this is He says to His own people, hey, demand a sign of me. And then He goes on to say, okay, here's what's going to happen. From among you, there's going to be one who's born. From among you. He says, look for the sign or the sign. And He says, okay, Where's the sign going to come, guys? From where? Among us. Don't look. Look. Now, we're tapping into stories. That's one of the things about the Scriptures that's the most beautiful. 
there are layered stories and images that are being tapped here. The first story that we get about human beings, about what we are, we get a story about dirt. What is the most like common, worthless thing on this planet? Dirt, right? Whenever they are out there digging dirt, they're digging dirt to find gold, to find diamonds. We discard the dirt and we keep the thing which is precious. See, there's something about dirt because dirt is common. Dirt is everywhere. Why does dirt have value if it's everywhere? If everyone has it, why is it valuable? Dirt is even less valuable than air. Who's been to Los Angeles? Air is very valuable in Los Angeles. I'm telling you right now, it's not a place for me. It's dirty over there. Seriously. Okay, you guys haven't been? It's gross. Yes, you. Yeah, I know you love it. Malibu, right? No? <laughs> okay, that's fine. Okay, it gets better on the coast. Just stay, stay by the water. Okay, but don't go into the city. It's gross, okay? The air is valuable there. Even the most prevalent thing, air, is more valuable than dirt. Water. There's more water on the planet than dirt. Has more value than dirt. We don't need it. And yet God, the, the first story, the first layer of understanding all of things, He says, hey, I started with this dirt. Whew. Breathe into it. So when we get this story about here comes God in the what? For God to have a body, according to His own story and narrative, right? And even science, carbon, right? God comes and clothes Himself in what? Dirt. The most common, unvaluable resource we have. Dirt. You could tell a lot about something by the dirt. I, I, I preached this in the first sermon, and uh, one of the guys that works at Del Monte came to me and said, hey, you're so right about that. We get carrots from all over the country. And depending on the soil, the carrots can be completely different. So one thing I want you to get this. There are two different elements in this story that we have to focus on. We need to focus on the seed and on the soil. There's a seed which is sown and there's a soil that it's sown into. And these two things are going to tell us a story. Because Advent is about this word. The word is incarnation. This is a Christian word. This is not a, uh, a Hebrew word. This is not a, a Muslim word. This is a Christian concept. Incarnation, enfleshed. This is one of the, the concepts of the church that more people have fought and died over than any other. By the way, who loves Santa Claus again? Santa Claus assaulted someone. Did you know that? Guilty of assault. What do you think he punched someone over? Santa was actually a theologian. You didn't know that. He's a theologian, okay? St. Nicholas, at the Council of Nicaea, punched someone in the nose because they said there's no way that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so what did Santa Claus do? Cold? No. Five knuckles to the face. <laughs> That's the Santa Claus that you've told your kids about, by the way. I hope you tell them the whole story. He really cares about doctrine, Santa Claus. Get your doctrine straight or no toys. He will punch you in the face. The real story of Christmas. The reason that someone got punched, the reason this is such a crazy concept is this. How does this change the story if this is true? If, if God, 
the source of all creation, of all things, the, the most holy, beautiful, knowledgeable, powerful creature in all of existence, chose to take upon himself weakness, fragility, dirt, sin even. What does this mean? I'm explaining this to you for a reason. Incarnation and the second coming of Christ are directly connected. How you understand the story of the birth of God, how God came out of this world, will tell you where to put your eyes to expect God's return to this world. How many of you have prayed to God with the image of baby Jesus in your mind? Unless you're Catholic, not many of you have ever prayed to baby Jesus. Have you ever prayed to baby Jesus? Come on. No one's going to raise their hand. There was one time. No. We don't pray to this image. This is the image that Protestants take and throw right outside the door. We don't need that, really. We have Christmas trees and presents. We don't really need baby Jesus. You have to understand this. You will not understand what he's doing if you don't get this. You don't understand the rest of the story if you don't get the beginning of the story. And we don't have time to go to the beginning of the beginning of the story, do we? We don't have time for that? That's okay. Where do we fix our eyes? What are we looking for? Here's the first thing I want you to, to see here. The soil. The soil changes everything. You can take the same seed and put it in... One location. We'll say a mountaintop in Colorado. You can sow a seed on the mountaintop in Colorado. Take that same seed to Hawaii and you sow it into the mineral-rich soil and the volcanoes. You will have two drastically different plants and fruit. The seed by itself does not dictate what happens. The seed and the soil create an outcome. It wasn't enough that God's sowing Himself. It's where does God sow Himself? Now, I'm not sure if you guys do gardening. Anyone garden? Anyone farm? There is a difference between good soil and bad soil. Did you guys know that? Okay. You can have it tested for free through the co-op. If you'd like to have your soil tested, anybody, it can be free. Because there is a difference. You do not want to invest your money and your time, your energy, and your seed into bad soil. Because you will not get a return. What have you been told about the world? In, in churches. When I was in youth group, I was told, don't watch that radar movie unless it's the passion of the Christ. Because the world will corrupt you. Don't listen to the Beastie Boys. Come on now. Don't watch MTV. I never watched it, ever. <laughs> I never saw it. The world will corrupt you. The world is a bad place. And I was taught there are two different worlds. There's the church world where there's light and sunny and beauty, and then there's the world where there's dark and cloud and everyone just is sinful all the time. They've all got a cigarette and alcohol and they're having sex all the time. I mean, is that what you were taught about the world or what? Okay. They're all French, I guess. I don't know. Sorry. Um, I don't know where these things come from. I'm sorry. I apologize. They just come right out. You've been taught that this is the place which is bad. That's the place which is good. That, that's God. This is bad. That's good. This is bad. This is what's going to happen. God's going to come and he's going to fill us all on the faith train and we're going to get out of this sucker and this thing's going to be gone. I want you to see this. 
God would not waste His most precious seed into soil that was bad ground. The first soil, the first thing you've got to get in the story, the first thing that's going to change what you anticipate in the second coming of Christ is this. Is God, what kind of ground is God sowing in? God does not send His Son as an adult in a heavenly body with a six-pack glowing, floating over the air with the best hair in the world. He does not do that. Even if that's what we think He did, right? The story of Jesus does not start at the cross. It doesn't start with the miracles. It doesn't start with the water to wine. Some of you, I know that's where you wanted us to start. I wasn't pointing at anybody, Kelly. Fortier. <laughs> it starts in the soil. The first soil we see is the analogy from Genesis. That God takes upon Himself the very dirt, the, the very essence of this world that we've been told is a lost cause. He takes it upon Himself. He goes into the very soil of Eve and Adam. The very soil that we were told has ruined everything. If, if Eve could have just not bitten that fruit, we'd all be better off. It's all her fault. Surely we should just cut her off and be done with her. The seed is dropped right there. See, Matthew starts with the lineage of Jesus for a reason. And he goes... And when you begin to track through Mary, the lineage of Jesus, there is an interesting arc that we see. Interesting people come in the lineage of Jesus. We see the lowest of the low. We see prostitutes. We see murderers. We see those who are educated, those who are uneducated, those who are powerful, those who are poor. This is the seed that... This is the soil God sows into. And in Mary herself, we see a, a culture. You have to understand this. We've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. But as a culture, we've come a long way. Trying to bring equality between genders and, and races and classes. But you've got to see something here. The reason that we use the word seed at all for uh, the things that are needed to make babies. You know what I'm talking about? Seed. The word used in scriptures for women often the reason that you have seed from a male is because the seed goes into what? Soil, land, right? Farmland, specifically. And if that's the metaphor for that, what's the metaphor for the other? Women are what? Dirt. Property. Farmland. Some are good farmland and they have lots of value because they produce lots of babies for the, the king or whoever it is. And some are the accursed farmland. Because they cannot produce any fruit. This is a consistent theme all throughout the Old Testament. The women who are fruitful and the women who are not fruitful. What's powerful is the moment that God chooses to sow the most powerful, valuable, transformational seed in all of history, He's going to put it into a young female. Powerless. Her value is little. At the same time that He's doing this with Mary, Elizabeth, the barren one in her age, because she's too old to have babies, is also going to be with child. There is now no longer ground that is good and ground that is bad. All of it, when God comes and sows life, life is born in all the soils. You have to see this. 
when God allows His Son, when He chooses to save the world, not through flying through the, the clouds with a cape, with power, and with the laser beams from His eyes. You have to understand this. All the stories in the Old Testament are pretty amazing. Angels appearing, angel armies appearing, pillars of fire, I mean, floods that cover the earth, manna, bread coming from the sky. This is a turn. We're going to do things a different way. Hope isn't coming up to down. Hope is going to sprout from the ground up. You need to get this. What's sprouting in the ground is the one we call Emmanuel. The one that we call God with us. And God with us isn't the God who's floating in the clouds right now. He's not the God who comes to us perfect and flawless with the hair and the, the glowing and the garb and the miracles and the signs of wonder. The God with us starts as a babe. To be fed, to be cared for, to be protected, to be taught, to learn. Emmanuel will learn what is good and what is evil. What in the world are we talking about? I have a question for you though. If you were to meet whoever is the famous person who you love. Who's the famous person? Come on, somebody. Who? Who is that? Like a real famous person. One we all know. Who? Oh, Lord. Dr. House. We need a real famous person. I mean like, I mean like A-list famous. Not B or C plus A famous. Come on. A anybody else? Like the Pope maybe? Or like a king? Or, you know, a prince? A president? You guys are lame. <laughs> Santa Claus? Whatever, right? If this amazing, famous, awesome person came to you and said, I understand exactly what you're going through. What is your like, response? Now, you'll probably say something very nice. Thank you. On the inside, what are you actually thinking? <laughs> sweating out of, your, out of your, yeah, you're sweating profusely. Okay, but, but beside the sweat, <laughs> you're saying, no, you don't. You're not helping the sermon this morning. Can you just help me? Do I interrupt the worship? <laughs> I'm going to get this when I get home, so it's okay. I have safety on the stage. Come over here. It's a false safety. You're, you are right. It's a, it's a false hope. That's what it is. You say, no, you cannot. What do you know about what I've been through? Nothing. Oh, but I'm always going to be with you. No, you're not. You're going back to your palace with your guards. Get out of my face. I'd, I prefer you on TV. What do you know of what I go through? Someone who's always known power, what do they know of what it means to be powerless? Someone who's always had sight, how are you able to understand someone who's blind? How can you possibly understand what it's like? Someone who's never known what it's like to have someone you love deeply have special needs. How do you know what it's like to connect to someone who does? You can try, but you do not know what it's like to be in their shoes. You just can't. You don't know because you have not been there. If this seed from God, if the salvation of the world, if God's love and justice 
and mercy came in the form of the clouds with the hair and the power and the fire and the light and everything else that we think he's supposed to have. Great. But there's no way that that God can always be with me. There's no way I can ever truly believe that that is Emmanuel. How, how can you possibly always be with me if you don't even know me? You know nothing about what I've been through. You know nothing about what it is to be afraid, to be guilty, to feel... The reason that people were punched at the Council of Nicaea is because when you begin to think about what it means for God to be human, it takes some scary turns. But if you're able to get this picture right, if you are able to see what it means when this seed is sown into this soil, you will get a picture for what the fruit is going to be. You will begin to know where to put your eyes. Here's the thing. Emmanuel, the hope of the entire world, is not just this God who's going to come from the clouds. You have to understand this. This hope has been sown into this soil. This God is at work right here. This is where God is busy. This is where the, the work, the busyness, the happening of God is right here among us. This is where our eyes have to be. This is where it starts. And the beauty of Emmanuel is that the hope of all the world, of all creation, doesn't just come from the clouds. It starts here. And guess what? It starts here. This is where the hope of all the world begins. This new life, this salvation it's starting right in here. The reason Paul uses both words, you are saved and you are going to be saved, and you are being saved. It happened, it's happening, and it's going to happen. What are you talking about, Paul? You're confused. Because it happened in the manger, in the dirt, in the soil, in the poor, in the poverty. It happened there. It's happening here, and it's going to happen. Would you guys stand with me this morning? When we accept that the soil that God planted, the most viable seed in all of history, was this world, then you know that God is not finished. The God we're awaiting is not a God who is coming to rescue us away. It's the God who came to redeem. To redeem means I'm going to take something broken and I'm going to put it back together. Something sick and I'm going to heal it. Something that is lost and we're going to, to bring it back. We're not going to throw it away. We're not going to be done with it. It means that for God to come and to sow His seed, to plant, to invest, to wait, to pour into this planet, into these people, into these hearts, into these minds, into these souls, into these circumstances, it means that God Himself sees hope here. Have you ever noticed the way that we treat children different than adults? If a children makes a mistake, you have a little bit more grace with them than if an adult does the same thing. If you poop your pants, I will treat you a little bit different. <laughs> okay? Because kids we know are not the finished product. They're in progress. There's something growing in them and it's not done yet. We look at each other and assume that we're done. This is it? <laughs> really? The Apostle Paul teaches us when we begin to see Christ in others, the seed of Christ in other people, we begin to treat them as those 
in a process. They're not there yet. How would you treat the people around you if you knew that God was not done with them yet? They were just growing. If you could just see hope in the people around you, if you didn't just see, oh gosh, they should know better by now. How would you treat this planet, this country, these people, this neighborhood, your worst person gets on your last nerve if you knew that God was at work in them? God's at work here. My eyes are not there. My eyes are right here. This is where God, there's life blooming. Even if it's a tiny little bud, there's life blooming here because this is where God is at work. The hope of all the world, there is hope in this dirt, in this messed up, worthless, common, ordinary. Right here, there is hope. Right there, and right there, and right there. It would transform the way you treat people. If you saw every person in your life as someone in process, 